Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Good morning. We are in Acts 2. This is a, an Advent Sunday. We are not doing anything special um, per se related to Advent, but I at least wanted to acknowledge that we are in the Advent season. Um, we're going to be looking again at Acts 2, but we're going to actually flip back and almost peruse or walk through a number of scriptures in the Old Testament um, that would indicate uh, both a foretelling and a sort of revealing of the Holy Spirit um, that's going to happen uh, at Pentecost. So let me um, make a statement, and if I do my job here um, right this, this morning, then I'll actually come back to that statement at the end of my message. Let's see if I can do that. Uh, so moment of vulnerability here for me, I have begun to recognize in myself that I have a deep and unhealthy need at points to please people, to be respected, and to be thought of as impressive and right. Can you imagine that? Now, one of the things that we're committed to around here and that I'm committed to is to sharing vulnerably and authentically. Why? So that you can sit there and judge Michael. Well, I can't believe him. He shouldn't be a pastor. You're probably right. But by the grace of God, here I am. And the point is that you could actually begin to look at your own life and you could begin to look at the areas where you feel like you lack or you don't measure up. And then the things we do, in other words, we don't go to God for what could be a legitimate need that God wants to meet inside of us, um, even filling us with, us with his person, with his spirit. And instead, we go and meet our own needs, whether it's to please people or to be liked or to be respected or to be thought of as cool or to have lots of followers on Instagram, or you fill in the blank for your thing. You hear me? So instead of going to him and asking God to meet those needs, we go out and do our own thing our own way, thinking that we can meet what is probably a legitimate need, but we're going to do it our own way, which makes it illegitimate, which the Bible would call sin. Oh, somebody said idol. Who said that? Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Wow. You made a jump. Is that Jeff? That is absolutely right. That's a, that's a jump, but let's make that jump. Okay, let's go there because it's going to help us as we unfold this. Thank you. Really good. Okay, so I used, I've spent a lot of my Christian life as a younger person reading the Old Testament, and I would, I would uh, say things in my mind, not always out loud because you don't say this stuff in Sunday school or wherever you are, but I would go, who in the world would bow down to a gold blob? Like, can you imagine? Or like, can you imagine if we got a couple chainsaws out and knives and we carved a little, you know, thing and then we put it up here and everybody came by and took turns and bowed down? I mean, is that crazy? Can you imagine that? And so I, for, for much of my Christian life, I was like, why on earth? I mean, these people are just lunatics. And as I've gotten older, what I have begun to recognize is the idols in my own life that keep me from being full of or baptized with actively the Holy Spirit in me and through me are actually things that oftentimes look good or sound good in our modern culture. You hear me? So, you know, saving money, being wise with your finances, tithing, getting your house, all those things are really, really positive. But if I'm looking for my security in my finances, can that become an idol? Yes. If I have a deep need to be respected or thought of as impressive. Now, let's actually, let's open this just a second. If Michael has a deep need to be um, 
thought of or respected or impressive or be right. When I come out here, just imagine me coming out this morning, if I come out here and preach and minister out of my deep need so that you all respond in a certain way, am I full of the Spirit or no? Now, you might not know it the first Sunday or even the second or the third. It might even be a few months. But what would begin to happen is we would become a more me-centric or you-centric organization and people would begin to vote with their feet. You hear me? Now, flip that into your life. You have an opportunity um, on any given day, and I'm, I'm really preaching to those of us who are in Christ. If you're in here and you've never given your life to Christ, that's okay. Hang on for the ride. I'm talking to us Christians today. Um, but if you're in Christ, and we're talking about Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit was released inside of and filled Christians, but if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then on any given day, you face the choice as to whether or not you're going to allow that Holy Spirit of God to feel you um, and to empower you or whether you're going to meet your own needs in your own way or bow down to your own idol to meet your needs. Make sense? Somebody shake your head at me. Okay, you're tracking. All right. Let's read um, this and then let's take a look at the Old um, Testament and I'm going to just kind of tell you what this is about today. In the Old Testament, we're going to look at a word um, called ruach. Can you say that with me? Ruach. It's Hebrew, okay? It's a Hebrew word. The New Testament or Greek equivalent of that word, does anybody know? Is pneuma. Pneuma. Okay, so in the Old Testament, ruach means the spirit of God. It means um, the presence of God. It even can be the spirit of a human. Um, it is like unseen. It is intangible. But when, when the Old Testament begins to talk about the ruach of God, and in the Old Testament, it mentions ruach just less than 400 times that I found. So it's vital. So did the Holy Spirit first show up at Pentecost? Oh, we're going to find out this morning. He didn't. He didn't. So let's read Acts 2, and then I'm going to go back, and we're going to, we're going to go through some um, scriptures. And what we're going to attempt to do is come back to the place where we can begin to look at ourselves and sort of um, make some application about how do I forsake my own will, my own ways, um, my own brokenness, my own needs, my own idolatry in order to walk full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Make sense? All right, Acts 2. We read this already, but we're going to read it again in light of what we're about to go into. Okay. Um, If you're scrolling, scroll on, Acts 2. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. If you're flipping, go to Acts 2, and then we're going to go back to Genesis. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There's about 120 of them. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they're sitting. They're in some kind of structure. Um, Actually, in Acts 7, house is also used interchangeably with temple, interestingly enough. Um, So uh, a wind came from heaven, filled the whole house, or possibly temple, where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So it's like us sitting in here this morning and all of a sudden a hurricane wind comes through and what appears? Fire. Wind and? Okay. Hang that because we're going to come back to it. Came to rest on each of them. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, what was the sound? The wind. Can you see the wind? No. Can you feel the wind? So it is with the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, or the Numa of God. Um, by the way, um, when it said in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, right there, Holy Spirit is translated Numa. That's from Greek, okay? Numa. All right, so uh, verse 6, when they heard this sound, the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Now, I'm going to skip down just a bit because I want you to see something. Amazed and perplexed, verse 12, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, um, oh, then Peter stood up, excuse me, verse 14, I missed that. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. What spirit there? Numa, okay, you're going to get this, uh, on all people. Now, if we go to Joel 2 in the Old Testament, Joel 2 in the Old Testament says, I'm actually going to flip here if you want to go there. Joel 2, verses 28 and 29 says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit. What word is that? It's Old Testament, Hebrew, Numa's Greek. So what's that? Well, let's go again. I will pour out my spirit. Anybody remember? Ruach. That's right, ruach. It's got that little thing at the end. I will pour out my spirit, ruach, on all people. So in the New Testament, when Peter quotes it, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my Numa spirit. So I want you to connect Ruach old, Numa new, and then we're also going to connect our own journey of how we can begin to forsake our own will and way in order to find the will and way of God and even begin to walk more fully filled with and empowered by his spirit day by day, moment by moment. Okay? All right. <clears throat> so Back to Acts 2, Peter stands up, quotes Joel, in the last days I will pour out my spirit, or my Old Testament, ruach, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will see visions, excuse me, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. <clears throat> okay, here's what I want to propose to you as we open this door. I believe, and I can't prove with total certainty, but I believe that Pentecost happened at the temple. Not in the upper room. Now, they're meeting in an upper room. They're praying in an upper room. Um, but what we know is that Pentecost was 50 days um, uh, after, uh, the, uh, the, after Jesus was raised from the dead. It's 50 days. And it also happens on a feast day. So there's a feast that is happening. It is 9 a.m. on a feast day. And what we know is that the New Testament believers would actually gather at the temple at the times of prayer. So 9 a.m. is a time of prayer, okay? You've got 9 a.m., you have 3 p.m., and you have probably like the evening, which is probably about 7 p.m. So at 9 a.m., which we just read, he said, they're not drunk with wine because why? 
So it's nine in the morning. So it's, this is a prayer time. So I believe that this group got up out of the upper room and I believe they went down to the temple and they're on one of the colonnades or one of the porches of the temple um, and they're, they're gathering at the temple and then all of a sudden this wind comes in through the temple and then the tongues of fire actually appears over uh, the, the heads of these people. Um, and so now, let me, let me sort of unpack this to see if I can get our arms all the way around it. On a feast um, week, on a feast day, um, and at this feast was actually 50 days after um, the Passover, which is a harvest festival. It's like the first fruits. So it's commemorating the day when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Okay, I know this is a mouthful. Hang with me. Okay, so... Um, because it's a feast day, there would have been 2.5 probably million Jews gathered around Jerusalem, camping on all the hills. So in the temple, you could look out and you could see all the way around Jerusalem. And there would be little fires and tents and people gathered to commemorate this feast. Now, at 9 a.m. in the morning, everyone comes down to the temple for prayer. Okay, so everyone journeys into the temple. And I believe what God is releasing here, he did not want sealed in an upper room, but rather he wanted on a public display so that all of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, the religious people, and all of the Jews in the nation of Israel might see and understand that this is in fulfillment of the Old Testament and that they might give their hearts to King Jesus and acknowledge that he's the Messiah. So I believe what's happening here is all these people are gathered. And, you, you, you know, it, it says um, that when this happened, Peter stood up to address the crowd. It doesn't say he left the upper room or he went out into the street. It says he stood up. So thinking that Peter stood up, I believe that this group of 3,000 gathered around them. And it would have probably been more than 3,000. It actually says in a few passages here that 3,000 um, gave their life to Jesus or gave their heart to Jesus that day and were baptized. So I believe what's happening is this group of believers is now at the temple. They're there for prayer. The presence of God blows through the ruach of God or the pneuma of God. And then the fire of God appears over people's heads. Um, and all of a sudden, all these people gather around and uh, they, they continue um, to see the release of the spirit at the temple in the very center of Jerusalem on this feast day. Now, um, let's open this one more um, one more step, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through a couple things in the Old Testament. But no devout person who studied the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets, and the Old Testament, could have missed what God is saying here. And we're going to unpack why. But no devout person who knew the Old Testament could have missed the reality of what God is saying. They could have rejected it. They could have refused it. They could have resisted it. But they could not have, re have totally missed it because of the fullness of what God was releasing on his people. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Make sense? So here's the way I want you to begin to think about this loving God is he is desiring in this moment that none of the people in Jerusalem, all of the 2.5 million people that are gathered for this, um, this festival, uh, this harvest festival, he is desiring that all of these people would see what is happening at the temple. Now, Jesus has just been crucified. He's just ascended. Are people talking about it? Absolutely. Is it the buzz in Jerusalem? Yes. Is it the buzz um, in the countryside? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when this thing and this commotion happens at the temple, all of a sudden people who are thousands who are gathered around feel the wind and see the wind and hear the wind and then they see the fire and then Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon to the first church. The church is in some ways launched on particular day. You could argue that at different points, but the church has launched. 3,000 people give their hearts to the Lord Jesus. What God, this loving, kind, gracious Father God is opening up for the entire nation of Israel is this desire that they would acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and that none of them would perish. Now, did everyone acknowledge that? Is everyone going to acknowledge it today? But understand and know this is the heart of this loving, kind, and gracious Father God. Okay, <clears throat> let's flip back and I'm going to see if I can tie all of this together. Go to Genesis 1, verse 2. You can make a note of this. You can actually scroll there or flip there if you want to. Um, or you can just listen along, whatever you'd like. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. So did God exist before earth? Yes. Did God have a beginning? No, he has always been. You can't get your head around it, I understand. He's always been. He had no creation. He was, he is. That's why he introduces himself as the great I am. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God, ruach, okay, was hovering over the waters. If the 120 believers are in the temple, if the wind blows, the wind is reminiscent of the hovering or the, um, the, the hovering of the Spirit of God. And then the fire literally over their heads is demonstrating to every person who sees what is happening that this is the God of the Torah, the God of the Old Testament. This is Yahweh that is doing it. And he is extending this open invitation to every person who sees and experiences what is happening at the temple, at Pentecost, and every Every religious um, leader and person would have known that the Spirit of God hovered, the Ruach of God hovered. So when those believers are gathered and all of a sudden the fire of God is hovering over their heads, what are they thinking? Ruach of God, hovering. So there's this testimony that's already happening. Okay, let's keep going. Um, flip over to Genesis 2. This is like a... Um, I don't know, exploration of the Old Testament almost. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man. Who was the man? Adam, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The ruach of God. This is actually a feminine word. It's a slight translation. It's a little different word than ruach, but it's a it's connected word. So God breathed, and what happened? Life. Pentecost. We're all sitting praying. 120 people sitting around praying. God. What happens? Full the Spirit. Any religious person in this day and age is being invited by God because he is fulfilling from Genesis all the way through to their current point. They didn't have a New Testament at that moment, but he's inviting them into this revelation that this that is happening at the temple, at Pentecost, on this day, with Peter, with the apostles, with Jesus, is the fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Testament. Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> Flip again. We're going to Exodus 19. Go here if you'd like. Or just hang and... 
listen along. Exodus 19, I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. Now, we just preached through Exodus maybe a year ago. You can actually go back and, and, and look at this exact passage that we preached. But Exodus 19, verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. This is the mountain of God, Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Now, what camp are we talking about? This is the Israelite camp. This is Moses that has led the people out of bondage or slavery in Egypt. They're now camping in the wilderness. And the idea is that they're going through the wilderness into the promised land. Picturing much of our life with Christ today. Verse 17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Okay, so if I am a devout, believing um, Pharisee of the day, I've studied the Torah, I have it memorized, I know the Ruach of God in the beginning hovering over the deep, hovering over the creation of the world, I've got that the Ruach of God is breathed into the lungs of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, and that's what life comes from. Now I'm looking at Mount Sinai that is full of fire. So in the New Testament, if this group is sitting at the temple, when fire appears, you have the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the Numa of God blowing through the temple, and then the fire appears. And what God is, is saying with such crystalline clarity is, I no longer dwell on the top of a mountain. I no longer dwell in a temple made by human hands. I now dwell on the lives of individual believers. And so my temple, my sanctuary is now those 120 and anyone else who is willing to surrender their lives to me and be filled not only once, but day by day with the power of the Spirit. Follow me? So if people are looking on as the wind is blowing, the, the Ruach of God, the Numa of God, the fire is there. What God is preaching, and God is preaching a message to every person in Jerusalem, some 2.5 plus million people, because everyone would have been chattering and talking and sharing. And can you believe what happened? And did you hear what happened at the temple? And the fire was there and the wind was there and it was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And, and so what God is offering to every single person in in the Jewish community, every religious leader, every one of the Levitical priests, he is offering salvation um, and grace and peace and ultimate eternity with him if they'll surrender their lives to King Jesus and acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what is heartbreaking to me is how few, like, like 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus on this particular day. I've never preached a sermon like that. That's impressive. By any standard. Like Peter's super full of the Spirit. He stands up. A huge crowd gathers. He preaches this huge sermon, which we're going to get into in the next couple weeks. But all of a sudden, 3,000 people, and if 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, who knows how many more people were listening. But what kind of power is that that is functional and operating at this moment? But it is this God that is testifying and using the person of Peter to preach that he is Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament, who is now ushered in King Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the Savior of the world. Now, I want you to step back again and think of something here, because I think it's very powerful. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are about Jesus, what Jesus said, what he does, his acts, 
um, everything, that, everything that's happening around the person of Jesus. Now, the book of Acts that we're moving into is about Jesus' new body. Is Jesus living in Peter? Is the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit filled Peter at this moment where he stands up to preach this sermon? You know, when I was younger, I used to hear people say, let's be the hands and feet and face of Jesus. And I'd kind of be like, eh. I mean, I'm just being honest. You know, that's the way I am. But I remember just thinking, that is silly. Why would anybody even say that? And then you start reading this, and, and don't get me wrong here. I think a lot of Christians, we pick up on these cliches, and we don't fully understand what they mean. And so then we just throw them out there, and people like say the same thing all the time and don't fully understand. But you've got to understand here that what is happening is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is about what Jesus did and said in his human body. And then he is ascended, and the Spirit of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, descends at Pentecost and fills his people. So Peter stands up in the new body of Christ. And so Peter literally becomes the voice of God, the face of God, the hands and feet of God. So the New Testament church is merely a continuation of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Jesus just has a new body. Who's this new body today? Me and you. Whoa. That's amazing. Okay. Fire on the mountain. The smoke billowed up like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. That's what's happening at Pentecost. Okay, flip over to Exodus 32, verses 19 and 28. Exodus 32, we've also preached through this. I'm just going to reference two verses. Verse 19, Exodus 32, verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, now this is the gold calf, back to just comment, the what? The idol. And it's like, who in their right mind would bow down to a gold cow? But who would bow down to the idol of respectability? Go back to what I opened with. The idol of finances, the idol of needing to be impressive, the idol of needing to be respected. The things that we serve and the things that we as modern Americans go to to meet our needs instead of God are, in fact, idols. I open telling you I've begun to recognize that I have these deep sinful needs at points and if I'm not very careful, I'm about my life meeting my own needs going, God, thank you very much. I can do it myself and way better and faster than you and I'm suddenly full of myself and not full of, that's the crux of this whole thing. Verse 19, Exodus 32, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the, ta the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. So real quick analysis of this. Moses has been up on the mountain where what's on the mountain? Fire, okay. So he's, the, the finger of God has literally written these stone Ten Commandments. He carries the Ten Commandments down. He sees this big party, which would have included all sorts of sexual sin and drinking and all, I mean, all sorts of things are happening. He gets angry, probably a little sinful anger, and takes these two stone tablets and he throws them in, breaks them. Now, go down to verse 28, same chapter of Exodus 32. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 people died. The law brings, how many people uh, gave their life to Jesus on Pentecost. 
The law brings, because 3,000 people, when Moses was issued the Ten Commandments, how many people died? On the day that the Holy Spirit is revealed in the New Testament church and Jesus takes up residence in his new body, the Apostle Peter, the Apostles, the male and female disciples, the growing body of Christ, how many people are saved? What he is saying again to all the religious people who are looking on is, listen to me, people, wake up. When I gave you the law, it brought death. When I give you the, the, the Holy Spirit, the pneuma or the ruach of God, it is now bringing life. Turn, therefore, to King Jesus. Turn to the Messiah. Acknowledge that he is Lord and be saved. I mean, it's absolutely powerful what God revealed and released on this group of religious people because he desired that not one of them would perish. I mean, it's amazing when you begin to think of it from that perspective. Okay, let's keep going. I'm gonna bypass Joel 2 because we already read it. We could go through so much of the Old Testament that is literally fulfilled in the New Testament. And I'm always attempting to bring the old and the new together because I want you to understand a God who is not haphazard, who is not accidentally doing this. And I want you to begin to understand that he is a God that is in your life, orchestrating, speaking, directing, filling. Even when you don't like it, even when you don't see it, even when you disagree with it, it does not mean that he is absent. He is here and he is in your journey. The question is, can you begin to identify your own will and way and then disband it or disregard it so that you can follow the will and way of King Jesus? I actually opened a sermon a couple weeks ago. I can't remember when, but I opened it and I said, I used to think the hardest thing in the Christian life was finding and obeying the will and way of God. Excuse me. I used to say the hardest thing was discerning the will and way of God. I've come to this point at 41. It's taken me a long time, way longer than I think it should have taken but I've come to this point where I do not think the hardest thing is finding the will and way of God. I think the hardest thing is discovering my own will and way and disbanding it or disowning it so that I can embrace the will and way of God. It, it, it's, a, it, it's back to the idolatry that I started with. Michael can roll out here and he can come out to meet his own needs, meet his own way, or there's this subtle little shift in me where I go, no, 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 God's meeting those needs. I'm here to serve his church, his people, his way, his time, his ministry. This is the infilling power of the Holy Spirit in our day. May we experience the ruach or the pneuma of God, not only hovering over us, but infilling us so that we can forsake our own way and follow him him. That's church. And that's why the New Testament church was so powerful. Okay, Luke 3 verses 21 and 22. We actually did this uh, pre-service with our um, crew that was baptized this morning, but this is when Jesus was baptized. Luke 3 verse 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, right before he started his ministry. Okay, and he was, as and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit, what word? You're in the New Testament, so it's pneuma, but it's the equivalent of the Old Testament, ruach. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily uh, form like a dove. Now, 
Jesus is on the banks of the Jordan River. John the Baptist is baptizing. If we got fully into this passage, what you would see, again, are hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people, are leaving the cities, going out to John the Baptist on the banks of the Jordan River. And and what they are discovering as they're there is all of a sudden God Almighty, Yahweh, publicly acknowledges again, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he rends heaven and descends on him in the form of a... Dove, Numa, again, so for every religious person sitting in Jerusalem watching Pentecost happen in a very public way, God does everything that he has done and in this very public way. Jesus was crucified on a hill in a place where everyone in Jerusalem could see. When God is baptized, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends in a form that every person who knows anything about the Old Testament would recognize this is the Ruach of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God that has descended over him, and then a voice from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then when Pentecost happens, the new body of Jesus, now get this, let's tie this together. Heaven, uh, let's see, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized, or was baptized too. And as he was praying. Now what are the New Testament believers doing in Acts 2? You see it? So this, this, this Old Testament, because as Jesus is living, we're in the transition from old to new. So Jesus is praying on the banks of the Jordan River. Holy Spirit descends. New Testament believers are praying in a room in the temple. Fire descends. Ruach, same thing. So all of a sudden, everyone looking along could connect the dots and turn their hearts and their faith to Jesus, the Messiah, uh, the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world. You following me? Okay, all right, <clears throat> keep going. Heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. So what is being said here is God's ruach, Uh, God's spirit or God's pneuma no longer dwells um, on mountains, in houses, temples, houses built by human hands. But now the um, ruach of God or the pneuma of God has come to take its place inside the New Testament believers. And they are the new hands, feet, and face of Jesus. That's not just a cliche saying. Okay. When Jesus died, remember what happened um, at the moment Jesus died and he yelled, it is finished, the, the, um, the uh, curtain in the temple. <sighs> Again, God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. Any religious leader, any devout, even Jewish family person could have looked at everything that was happening and said, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. But because he didn't come in the way that most of them expected, on a horse, at the front of the army, in a Davidic style to overthrow Herod in Rome, they rejected what God did in, not all of them, but many of them rejected what God did in their day. Can we do the same thing? There should be some fear of God on that for every one of us. Okay, let's tie this all together here. I have recognized in myself the deep need to be respected, to be thought of as impressive, to please people, to be right. And I can't believe that's inside of me. And one of the things that I have begun to see 
And if you studied the New Testament, we don't have time to go through it, but if we look through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would call that our sarks, S-A-R-X, our flesh. I can fuel my life with my sarks, my flesh, meeting my own needs in my own way, bowing down to my own idols, believing they're gonna meet my needs, or I can fuel my life by surrendering it to King Jesus. This isn't a um, performance. In other words, you can't change your behavior or your words. This is an attitude of the heart where you lay down and exchange your brokenness, not just once, but daily with the person of Christ so that you can experience the unfilling power of the Spirit. This happens in Michael's heart and life every single day. I would love to tell you, I decided once and everything's been perfect since. I have walked full of the Spirit flawlessly. I am the most, and I, I can't. But, but here's what I am beginning to recognize is the number of idols in my own heart and life and that I can either choose to meet my needs that way or I can surrender it all again to King Jesus and appropriate the power, the ruach of God, um, the, the pneuma of God and that the Holy Spirit is now living inside of me because Michael's been crucified with Christ and so have And we can live full of and empowered by the very Holy Spirit of God that hovered over the waters and spoke this world into existence. That's the power that is available to you and to me. I would say to you that the Jesus journey is progressively recognizing those things that are not of God and forsaking them to find the infilling power or the ruach of God. That's it. Worship team, are y'all back there? I don't have anything else. Rick is. Come on, Rick. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're just going to worship the Lord. We're just going to worship. We're going to ask that the Holy Spirit would come into our midst. We're asking that the same power that through on Pentecost, the same power that burnt over their heads, the same um, spirit of God, a ruach of God that dwelled and hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation that we could look at again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. We're going to ask that that same power would come and fill us as New Testament believers and that you and I could begin to think of ourselves not as Michael and Josh, but rather as Michael who's been bought by the blood of Jesus. Michael, the new creation that King Jesus lives in. And Josh, the new creation that King Jesus lives inside of. And that we, as we live this messy, sometimes difficult, even disappointing, challenging life, could increasingly find the power and presence of this God in our lives. That's what we're gonna pray for, okay? So I'm gonna ask you to stand up. We have a prayer team. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down here if you're available. If you want to come down for prayer, you can come down. If you want to come stand in the front and put your hands up and worship, you can do that. If you want to sit where you are, you can do that. But here's what we're going to say. Holy Spirit, the great I am, the creator of the universe, the Ruach of God, the Numa of God, the great Holy Spirit, the creator of heaven and earth, would you come and have your way in our lives and in our church and in our marriages and with our kids and with our jobs? Would you come and have your way with us? 
cry out to you that as a church we would not go through the motions. Father, we cry out to you that as a church that our faith would not be skin deep. Lord, we cry out to you that you would grace us with your person and your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be glorified here in our midst. We ask that this house and this place and these hearts would become the new temples of your Holy Spirit that the Ruach of God, that the Numa of God, that the wind of the Spirit would be pleased to dwell here in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would make this group a group who recognizes that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to them. And we are called, therefore, to carry the Ruach of God, to be the hands and the feet and the face of Christ Jesus, and to be the new version of your body here on earth in this day and age. Father, I pray that you would begin to meet with us as believers moment by moment and day by day. Father, would you make yourself real to us and would you baptize us with your person and your presence again? Father, we praise you. We worship you. We say that you alone are good and you alone are God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Spencer. Do I have a slide back there? The whole book of Acts was actually written out of this scripture verse. Look at that. This is the Great Commission. This is the last thing Jesus said before he ascended. And as we go through this book of Acts, I want us 
um, to declare it together as we close our services. Are you ready? We're going to read this together. There's two slides. One, two, three. Father, I pray that you would fill this church with your person and your presence. Lord, would you be here to meet needs, to heal, to change, to resurrect hearts, to restore marriages, to heal physical bodies, to impact the natural with the supernatural reality of your Ruach, your Numa. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.